Hello, thank you for joining us on the A to Z podcast. I'm Zach Jackson, he's Andre Knott. At Akron Jackson, at Dre Knott on most of your favorite social media platforms. At facebook.com slash A to Z podcast at A to Z podcast.com. Shouts as always to Scene, to the Honeymoon Grill, to American Fireworks. Always open at AmericanFireworks.com for helping to make this thing happen. Shouts to you guys for helping to grow, for tweeting us, for listening, for reading, for doing all that you do and interacting with us and helping the causes and people and things that we ask you to help. If you're new here, first, welcome. Second, um, we venture into mature slash immature subjects. We get wound up and we say bad words. So if that's not for you or if you're in a work environment, if there are kids around, put on earbuds or come back to the A to Z podcast at another time. Jerry, the sun is shining. Uh, I'm on bye week. I'm in a pretty good mood. Thanks for asking. Yeah, man. Um, I really don't care. You know that. Uh, this might be the best record you've ever covered at a bye week in your history of being a reporter. <laughs> I didn't Congrats. think about that, but I don't know. I, I, I think they were probably 5-3 and three at the break in 2007, right? Uh, we got to check. Yeah, uh, we, we got to check. You got to check. That's something that's very that's worthy of being checked because I felt like they got – I mean, I know the first game in, in, in 06 was – the Steelers game that got Charlie Price into Seattle. And then I know the next week was a Cincinnati game that was – this sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Uh, the next game, they uh, went up and down the field with Cincinnati uh, in that spectacular game. I remember a win – so I don't know. I, yeah, I'm curious. I, don't, I wonder what their record was. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll click over to Pro Football Reference in a minute. At this current second, it seems like a lot of work. But, yeah, I mean, in, in 2002, no – um, they were just kind of fig- – oh, you know what? They were probably – in 2014, they were probably this good at 14. the midpoint. They were pre- – yeah. Regardless, we're talking about 20 seasons, 20-plus seasons. Um, yeah. You could run – you could truly run a, have a parade right now because this has been so obsolete and so different than anything else that's happened. And I think that's a good way to start the podcast rather than to say they shift the bet on Sunday um, with the bye week here. And, look, I, I'm not all for excuses and excuse-making. They're banged up. And that was a hard watch. And it did remind me of a Charlie Fry, Phil Dawson, Bruce Gronkowski, Raiders, uh, Browns game where you needed Josh Cribbs to save you with four kick returns and punt returns. And Josh Cribbs was there, but he wasn't in no uniform. So you take the L and you move on. Yeah, no, uh, I think that's a good way to say it. You know, they're five and three. Um, I completely disagree with them saying, well, we should be better. I, I get why they say it, but not right. Like, no. You, you laid an egg on a tough day against a pretty good team. We'll see, you know, what comes of both of those teams. But you've gotten completely dominated twice. You've beaten Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Oberlin, and the Bengals, right? <laughs> like, I mean, look, but but I, I think the way you said it, it, I guess I just wanted to make sure I got that line in there. But they have a really good running game, right? They should be getting Nick Chubb back. We'll see when he gets back yeah. to full speed. You have the sack leader. You have You have some real strengths on the team. Like, in the standings, you're still in third, but you have a winning record. That's been forever. In the stat sheets, you have guys that show up, right? Like, you, you're you're only eight games into rebuild 12.2. But, like, <laughs> you're ahead. You're, you're doing it. Like, you have to have wins to show for it, right? This is an evaluation yeah. year. But win while you evaluate, right? This is yeah, a growing yeah. year. But, like, expectations are good. So, yeah, the Browns did not play well. And, you know, what doesn't bode well is you saw it coming in that injuries mounting. 
and just Derek Carr, who is who he's always been, is going to pick you apart with quick, simple passes, and your defense is bad. So, if the defensive line doesn't play better, and I know Miles only played less than half the snaps, yeah. then they're not going to beat anybody because we know what the back yeah. seven of that defense is, right? Well, um, yeah, but I think that's been covered up. So well, it's been covered up, and I don't know. Like, am I talking about the run defense? I think it's been covered up so well because really the best defense against the Browns, really the best defense the Browns have had has been the offense running the ball to stand on the field, right, when it's mattered. When it hasn't mattered, no team has really – I can't think of a game where a team has said, you know what, we're just going to run it down the Browns' throat. The Raiders, I, you know, Carr was Carr. He didn't do anything spectacular. He didn't kill them either. But they ran it down their throat. You know, the Browns put eight – I keep hearing people on the radio in different places go, well, the Browns didn't count. You know, they want to blow Joe – they want to blame Joe Woods. No, people, they had a safety in the box, and the Raiders ran it down their throat. That's embarrassing. Yes, that is on the defensive line, um, but also the rest of the guys. You know, for so long, you know, Zach, myself, you, we've, you know, we've been big on giving the front four a lot of love, deservingly so, and we knew the linebacking play was mediocre at best. We know Sendejo. I don't even say his name usually because I don't even want to get started about him, but they overall as a defense got their manhood taken Sunday. That, to me, is bigger than any call that Joe Woods or that Kevin Stefanski can make. What kind of pride do you have as a defender when the other team is telling you, we are going to run the ball off tackle 40 times, and they never really – you can't, off the top of my head, where a couple days removed, there weren't many plays, Zach, where I saw a, a defender of, with the orange helmet on, and the orange pants have looked nice. I will say that, but we don't have to shit our pants every time they put it up on, on Instagram that they're wearing them. They, they are a good look. I hope they keep them. Um, <laughs> Very well but, said by you on both counts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, people act like it's like they're going to prom when, they, when this shit pops up. Act, would y'all act like adults for once? It's just a pair of pants. They do look good, though, and I would wear them the rest of the season. But I wouldn't wear them if you can't hold your water at the line of scrimmage. It was embarrassing to watch those silver pants push those orange pants back all game long, and they had eight guys in the box. You know, that may be the first game this season, Zach, that – and I don't watch every game, but I try to watch as much as I can on Sundays. That may have been the first game all season, and maybe it was, it was definitely because of the weather, where both defenses were putting the safety in the box. Like, the way the NFL's played nowadays, the safety's not allowed in the box half the game because sure. they put four or five receivers out there. But on Sunday with that weather and with the Raiders playing somebody too tight and playing 12 – and the Browns basically doing the same thing. Jonathan Abrams basically played right on the line of scrimmage. Now, I can mm-hmm. get into another he, conversation about why. He blitzed more on Sunday than Robert game. Griffith used to. The difference is he actually yeah. made an impact by doing it. <laughs> hey, Robert Griffith will hit you in the locker room. You better watch it. <laughs> oh, Robert Griffith was had a really good career. Robert Griffith is... Made way more money than me. He's way better looking than me. He's way more athletic than me. He had as many effective safety blitzes as I did in my career. That's that's a fact. You ain't lying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can just see him running right back to play like 15 times a game. You're like, where are you going? <laughs> uh. yeah, we're, we're way off the rails as we usually are here. No, Dre, um, you know, a fair evaluation of that game includes the weather, right? And I thought the yeah. the Raiders, I almost called them Oakland. The Raiders gave away points early because Waller drops the ball, and then they stupidly kick the field goal where they have no business doing that, right? Right. Um, but the fact is, is you're going to have weather like that. Now, it might not be gale force, but in week 14, you host the 
Ravens in a game that kicks off at 825 at night. What do you think it's going to be like in Cleveland that night on December 14th? Oh, it's going to be 32 degrees. Oh, 32 God. degrees would feel balmy if it is yeah. like that, right? Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So if you ever are going to play in January and you actually technically host a January game this year guaranteed because the Steelers game is on January 3rd, week 17, and, and, and assuming we play a, a full schedule, and, and that's for a different discussion, right? But, like, like you're going to have to do that. And, and, and the run game – Here's how I would sum up eight games of the Browns by, by summing it up, um, both in terms of what we happen, what what we've seen happen, and where they stand. Okay, they run it, and they run it really well when they have Wyatt Teller and Nick Chubb, and they have to run it because that makes the quarterback better, and they have to run it because that keeps the defense off the field. Yep. They got some real flaws. They got some real questions. They still run it a little bit. I mean, Kareem's been reeling a little bit. He's still produced, not at a high high level, but he's leading the NFL in ten plus yard runs. That gives you a chance yeah, to win and games. Yeah, he's been averaging almost four, four a run. Yeah, so like they want, right. You know no, I, mean? I think it's you just like got a little spoiled bad. by the early season success, which is good sure. because you're having yeah. that. And look, B- Baker was fine on Sunday. He wasn't a world beater. He's not. Um, guys didn't help him by dropping the ball, certainly. A couple of a couple of blatant ones, a couple that you know go either way over the course of a game and the course of a season. Um, but they have to run the ball to set him up. And here's where the Browns are. They're five and three. They have all their playoff goals in front of them. All their evaluation opportunities are in front of them. They really need, from a physical standpoint, as trite as it is to say, they really needed this bye week. They need to get Hooper back. They need yeah. to get Chubb back. They need to get Teller back. And guys are playing hurt. Like Miles Garrett is not going to be 100% uh, the rest of the year. You know, something's up yeah. with Ogan Joby and Richardson because they went from playing really well to you don't even notice them, right? Kareem's been. Yeah. Right. battling through it, limping through it. Jarvis has been battling through it, limping through it, right? Like, all of that's in front of them. But when you watch, Jerry, like, you watch the Steelers and Bucks play defense, the Browns don't. I mean, the Browns don't. The Browns are an awful defense. Awful, awful. Yeah, you watch Seattle and KC play offense, like, the Browns aren't even close to there. So just just keep playing. Keep getting good at what you're good at, right? Which getting those guys back, specifically Austin Hooper, you know, it helps you there because he blocks his ass off regardless of who's running, regardless of whether Chubb's come, Chubb comes back at 80%, 90%, 100%. And, you uh, you know, a mere mortal, you would say he's not going to be right the rest of the year, but Nick Chubb might be right in two weeks. I mean, the, the guy's yeah, a Chubb going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, like, and what you do defense – as we record this, we weren't going to wait, guys. Um, it's two hours from the trade deadline as we record this. There was a little bit of trade flurry activity on Monday – with some teams, um, the Browns are not up against it because they don't play this week. So the COVID protocols and a, and a trade really doesn't mean much to them. They could pick up a guy and, and he could be cleared by the time they practice next Monday. You know, um, I've always thought it'd be a low medium move, if anything, and we never know. But even if they don't make a move, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because we could easily eat these words. We like eating. Right. We don't like eating our words too often. Not words, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just think, Dre, they're telling you we are happy with where we are. We never expected to be in any upper tier of anything after this year. We need right. to keep evaluating. We need to keep growing. And then keeping the same guys together who are doing the playing, who are doing the scheming, who are doing the evaluating, that will make us so much better and give us an actual chance going forward because any decision made right now, 76 to 13 against the two best teams on your schedule hangs over it. It really does. It's who you are right now. 
Yeah. And you know what, though? It's okay because they're ahead of the curve that you were talking about, the curve of where they want to go and where they've been. And really the whole goal right now is to maintain where you're at and not lose a grip of that. Um, you know, you can't go into these last eight games and, and, and play worse than what you did in these first eight games, right? Because, you know, like that win over Cincinnati, and I heard someone else say this, and it, it rang true for me, so hopefully I, I bring it and say it in a way that it makes sense here. You know, that win against Cincinnati, we could go, oh, it's just Cincinnati. But, man, if they lose that game to Cincinnati and then they go out and lose the way they did, you know, against the Raiders, that would have been three losses in a row. And the feelings in Berea and around the rest of the NFL would be way different about the Cleveland Browns. So, to me, you take, all, you take the five wins that you have and you don't – and whether they were against Granville State or if they were against, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, who, by the way, the Bengals took it to Tennessee the other day. The Bengals are – and this, is, and this isn't an ebb and flow. This isn't me trying to put one team up and one team down. But I'll say I've watched the last three weeks pretty closely of the Bengals and Browns. I don't know how's that, but the Bengals are closer to the Browns than they should be. Um, they well, they have a real franchise before. quarterback. <laughs> I mean, I'm, anyway. I'm, that's not personal. Yeah, yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, and, like, and I'm not a Bengals fan. I'm just saying I've watched them play the Colts. I've watched them play the Browns, and I've watched them play Tennessee in the last three weeks. And, yes, they have flaws, but they don't sit back to anybody. And I guess it's Burrow. And I know this isn't a Bengals podcast, per se. And now that you say it that way, I guess he is the thing that stands out. because. And T. Higgins is a legit, too, by the way. Yes. I'll give the Bengals credit. They're smart at, at drafting a receiver with a quarterback. They've done it back-to-back times now, and it works. And I think they did it with – Palmer as well. I want to say, wasn't Chad Johnson with Palmer? Or he was right around the same. Hushman was with when they had Paul. It doesn't, regardless, yeah. I, I, I give them credit that when they get a young quarterback, they get a young receiver to go with them. And T. Higgins has all the makings to be a star. Um, they play hard. They're, I would just, I guess what I would say is if I'm in Berea and that whole trade deadline talk, to me it doesn't amount to much because I don't think there's a trade they can make that makes me say, oh, my gosh, they're going to get to the second round of the playoffs. But I would say as you build your team, the Bengals aren't just the Bengals. They're going to be pretty good. This division is going to be good for a long time as long as Joey Burrow. Yeah, no, listen, they're they're three offensive linemen and three DBs from being, you're right, where they need to go. But they got that guy there on their way, right? They they do. Yeah. Um, Let me say this, though, about the Browns' offense. I got to put this in there. If you – the rankings I would have had of the Browns' offensive players nine weeks ago is quite different today than it is then. Because Wyatt Teller would go down as a top two or three offensive sure. player for the Browns right now for me. Yeah. And I wouldn't have said that. I mean, that's the difference. Now, I know Chubb was hurt as well. But, Zach, they blocked so well the first four weeks. And he was so – I mean, he was a monster. He was, he was unbelievable. Hey, hey. Um, we keep talking about Chubb's health. You're I right. Like Teller back the way he was. At the well, well, listen, so Teller is under his rookie contract for this year and next, right, which means he's extension eligible after this year. So that dude made a lot of money in the first four games, Dre, and he made more the next four by not playing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Like, look at what but, your offensive line. Like, I, I'm glad you said it that way because this is an example of how we don't know shit. And when I say we, I don't mean just me and Dre. I mean all of us on the outside, right? Listening right. in your cubicle, listening on the treadmill, listening wherever. Like, 
before the Browns season, we all would have said, well, there's 10 spots set. We don't know who's going to be the right guard. And that's fine. I mean, even the Browns said it. We're going to see. Right. But this is the example of how you grow. You get the right coach in the right system that fits that guy. That guy gets comfortable and confident and starts playing well and takes off and maximizes his potential. Right? And now you look and you say, if we are going to keep the same coach for once, if we're going to keep the same scheme for once, we want this guy to be here and we're going to let him grow and go. And then not only do we do that and we get better from that, but we say to our scouts, this is exactly what we need as a guard in our offense. And Joel Petonio, who ain't getting any younger, then you go out and get those traits to replace him in three years. Like, this is what good teams do and have done for years. This is why the Steelers and Ravens, right, do so well with their third-day picks and guys that don't – because they're not scouting for the best players. They're scouting for their systems and who they are. And you can put – play like a brown on the wall, right? But until you do it, it doesn't mean shit. You know, it's funny you bring that up because the Steelers got the the, the the little inside linebacker that's filling in for Bush. Mm-hmm. Spillane or what's his name? Spillane, uh, yeah, it's Spillane. And uh, he comes up with a pick six last week, leads them with 11 tackles. I can go on and on and on. But anybody in Pittsburgh will tell you, he, saw, so far, he got picked on. Uh, the, the Ravens picked on him in the past game. But to the, to, the, to the fan on the outside, they're like, oh, my God, he got a pick six. He did this and that. And what did the Steelers do Sunday night after this kid had the best game? Traded for a linebacker. <laughs> I mean, that's just the day. And I'm not, and I'm not mocking. Yeah. I'm just making a point of where the, where the Steelers are, where the Ravens are, and where the Browns and Bengals are. Like, you know, when you talk about, like, the Steelers and the Ravens are making trades in the last week and a half to take them over the top. Yeah, we can win with the guy that we have, but we need somebody better. And because everything else is built the way that it's built, we can go out and get a guy that we know is a big-time player that will fit right in our, in our defense, and we won't take a step back because we're not asking him to leave. We're just asking him to fill a role. Thank you for saying Brown, that. You Let's know, sum it up like this. Okay, the Browns are building a team, right? And, and I think they're doing a pretty good job. Now, they got some serious holes on this defense, and there were some serious whiffs on this defense, even if you think Grant Delpit's one day going to be the next Ed Reed or Jamal Adams, Right. right? Right. But, like, the Ravens going to get Nagakwe, and now they lost Ronnie Stanley, and he's like Nick Chubb. He's one of the best football players, period, in the yeah, league. no doubt. But when no they doubt. go get Nagakwe, they're not building a team. They're feeding the monster that's already there. Last mm-hmm. year, when the Steelers go get Minka Fitzpatrick instead of tanking like every asshole on the outside says they should do for a young quarterback, <laughs> right? They're feeding the monster. They're taking something that's good, and they're making it better. Because you never know yes. in this league. Because you need every. I mean, again, we're at week eight. The Browns don't have three defensive linemen that can get in a stance. They don't have three competent corners to start with, right? Like, there's such a difference in building a team and building a monster, and they're just not there yet, and that's fine. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, the right. monsters are going to win this year in January, right. and the Browns are going to have a lot of cap space and some people we trust, right? At least to a certain yeah. extent, to, to eventually to get there. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I, this is going to be are. such we valuable are. experience for them to play games that people think they should win, right? It's going right. to be such valuable right. experience for them to evaluate their quarterback in shitty weather, right? Yeah, it's going to be such valuable experience for them to have gotten humbled twice by those teams in your division and get them both at home the second time around, right? And measure yourself. And if you make the playoffs, that's incredibly valuable too. That would be 
You can't yeah. put a price on that, right? But yeah. it's not the be all end all because this is phase one. And I'm not going to say we all got fooled by that. And I'm certainly not going to say that those wins don't matter because they do because you have to do that to build something. But in every football season, every level, every year, the games we remember are played in November and December, Jay. Right? They, they yeah. just are. Yeah. And so. And, hey, look, we're going to get some of them. We're going to get some that matter. Sure. We're going to get some November, December games. You know, you talk about the weather at home. I mean, they play the they play in New York back to back weeks, Christmas, Christmas and New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, right around there. I mean, what is that? The whole month of December is all bad weather. We're going to find out a lot about and Kevin Stefanski's got to call plays differently. Um, and I'm not into who co- who coached better or not. Gruden knew after that drive you talked about where Waller drops the ball and they, and they missed the field goal. Gruden obviously changed his tune instantly as to how they're going to run a game. Yeah. Now LeBron only got six. They only got six, and that's whole another thing in a whole other world that they only got six possessions but in those six possessions i didn't feel like stefanski found a different way but and, and that's a tough that's a tough thing to even say when you barely have the football but that's what comes back to you as a coach so i will look forward to seeing what stefanski does in november and december i cap it off with this the browns are in a good place one of the best places they've been at this time in the year in the last 20 years you capped it off perfectly in your article on sunday where you said, hey, a year ago at this time, there was a Browns player in the locker room with his pads on tweeting at media members that he was going to kill him in blood. You've made huge strides, Cleveland Browns. Congrats <laughs> with an S with that. And now let me ask that. I, mean, I got a, I got a, I got a mailbag, I got a mailbag of questions around okay. the NFL that I want to ask you. You talk about the monsters and how the monsters eat. When I hear you say that, I think of the monster of the monsters of the last two decades. What do you make or just what's your take? on what's going on in New England. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen a whole bunch. Um, I would just say Jimmy's and Joe's. You know, not only did Brady mm-hmm. leave, half that defense opted out. Correct. And for an organization that was so built on the culture and so built on outsmarting you, on having two game plans, on taking away your strength, and, and that's right. what Belichick does, you just can't lose those guys. Even if those guys have lost a step, Right, you can't lose those guys and, and keep it rolling like that. As you know? yes, as a TV executive that that I know very well, that was at their game two weeks ago. He said it to me very well. He said they got a bunch of JV guys because they can kill Cam all they want. He goes, he's out there with JV guys. And he may not be healthy. I go, that sounds familiar. And I, like he was just, he goes, they're not, they're they don't stack up like you. It's what you said, Jimmy's and Joe's. They don't have the guys. Whether it's guys that didn't, you know, that sat out because of COVID or whether it's just the cap finally getting to them, whatever. It's just not – and we can call Belichick all the great things that we've called him. Uh, and, look, they're still going to have a winner two towards the end of the year that they don't deserve because of Belichick, but it's something different. Um, who's, the, who's the best team that no, in Zach's mind that nobody talks about? Hmm. Are people talking about Arizona yet? No. Got the yeah. good one. That's a good one. That's a yeah. solid. Um, well, you know, two weeks ago I'd have told you Tennessee, but they've they've slipped. They've lost <laughs> two in a row. So that's this that's good. this game they got, though. They got issues. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Arizona might not make the playoffs, and they're good because that division is great. <laughs> yeah, no, the Niners have thirteen starters on IR, Dre. Ooh, wow! <laughs> like, and they'll still compete though, and they're and they'll still compete. You gotta though. have your guys. That, have, that's just the, the reminder. You gotta have your guys. Right, and then you gotta have you gotta be good at what you're good at, you know. In and, and 
you, you, you got to throw it down the field. Eventually, you got to yeah. throw it down the field. So we'll, well see with the Browns. I told you, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to talk AFC West with you because I think that division. I told you around the draft. I'm in, I'm enamored with that division a little bit because of obviously Casey and the Mahomes factor and the Andy Reid factor. But there are a lot of other ties in that division that we both pay attention to. Um, the Denver situation, Drew Locke had to have that game to show off his swag and his dancing. He's a new, uh, he's a new Baker Mayfield, the white swaggy guy who's playing quarterback that likes to dance. Um, he better, he better keep making throws, Drew, or all we're going to be is making fun of your dancing. Uh, what are we going to do with our boy, our coach with the, with the, with the Chargers? They lead every game and can't finish. I, I don't need my man I lose. I don't need him going through this, man. I see what that I see what that face mask going. And you're probably right during the Chargers game. I got to tell you, Zach, the Chargers games are the most crazy games I've watched this year. They get up 26 nothing. They get up 32 to 14, and they lose every week. And they're good. And their quarterback Herbert, he may be the real deal. Yeah, they've got something, but something ain't something ain't something ain't matching up. And, and I'm starting to worry about my coach. Yeah, no, I would worry about him too. Now, I watched that Saints game. That was a Monday nighter, right? Or Sunday nighter or Monday yeah. nighter. Um, last week, I was aware of what, of their score, but I did not see anything until the final three plays because I was working and then I was coming home. So, right. um, yeah, those will kill you in the margin small. You know, really, outside of assuming the Steelers win the division, you know, the Ravens make it, but like, Nothing else is settled in the AFC playoffs. The Browns should win. They should get there. I'm not going to say yeah. it's mandatory for their growth, right? Um, no. The tight, I can't buy the Colts because Phil Rivers was that bad that day in Cleveland, and I don't think I, you know, I know. He inside really, he might he be really better. Whatever. He was really good yesterday. He was really good this week. I and I 100% agree with what you just said. Yeah. But he was really good this past weekend. I don't know who the hell. Is. I don't know who he is anymore. To be and maybe you're right. Maybe he needs to be indoors every game. I don't know. Yeah, um, you know. I got one for you. Miami, Miami's on the rise a little bit, but I know they had like three defensive or special teams touchdowns. Yeah. Tua's playing. Tua didn't look great. Tua was ass at best. But that's a Rams defense. In the first damn play of his career, he gets body slammed by the, by the, by Debo, the real Debo. <laughs> hey, no, that is the scariest dude in the league, man. That, that dude is scary. He is. Um, he did that to somebody else this year, too. Somebody else had their first snap. And he about snapped it. Oh, it was uh, Smith. When Alex Smith came back, he about, he about killed him, too, yes. on the first snap. Tua just looked, eh. But like I said, that was the Rams, um, that was the Rams defense he was going against. Here's the um, – sit down for this one, everybody, because I can't believe I'm saying it, but I believe I'm saying it, and it, had to be, it has to be said. Um, you mentioned the Steelers. The Ravens, they got an identity crisis, bro. Um, their MVP has not played like an MVP. And the issues that are always there, and I know I've stood up for Lamar, your cousin Jackson, by 18 different parents. Um, there's something, something's amiss with what Baltimore's trying to do. Now, now in saying what I'm going to say, they're having issues against teams that have seen them a lot. Pittsburgh has given them problems. Uh, I know the Chargers have given them problems in the past. Uh, Playoff-type teams have given them, Kansas City has given them problems because they can score points. The Lamar issues are the Lamar issues still, Zach. And he is so – and, look, Harbaugh's a great coach, and I'm not saying I want to go play him in the playoffs, and I'm not saying that they're – you know, that they got 
they, they don't got issues like everybody else. You mentioned Stanley getting hurt. But teams are playing different against Baltimore. And I thought it was intriguing to hear the – I read the athletics, the, all the uh, Pittsburgh athletic guys. And the Steelers were pretty open with they were not going to play – like remember how like the Browns would play like six DBs, seven DBs against them? The, the Steelers do the opposite. They play as many linebackers as they can in strong safeties because they feel like if you do that and they funneled everything for Lamar Jackson back inside to the middle. They don't want him running on the outside. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they gave – because of that, they got gapped a little bit in the run game. The Ohio State hit Dobbins looks great in that offense. Dobbins looks so good in that offense that you forget that their number one running back has been hurt. Yeah. I'm just saying, Lamar is over these next eight games, just pay attention to him. Because they're going to have an issue if more teams force them. And you already have Brown bitching about his, his touches after this game. Right. I'm just telling you, the Ravens don't – they just don't have that same it that they had last year so far. Well, it's hard. I mean, you don't win 14 in a row. You know, it just doesn't happen in this league. So, yeah, they're getting challenged. Uh, I, I haven't seen a ton. You know, they've been playing the same time as the Browns. Right. Um, I can understand just – on the surface, like Lamar being stuck between, do I want to run and do I not want to run? You know, yeah. Because um, they're playing for January, right? And then we're playing the Steelers. Right. I mean, that's a January type game. Uh, but I know, like in some other games, he you look at the final line and he has seven rush attempts for twenty four yards, and that's fine. Right. But that's not him. That's not them, right? That's not them at their best. Right. So, um, he had sixteen against the Steelers, I believe. Yeah, that is interesting. Like I mean, like 70. the reason they would go and get Nagakwe is because they feel like they're going to score points, they're going to play with the lead, and they're going to turn them loose, right? Yeah. But now, you know, you, you lose Ronnie Stanley. You're without Humphrey for at least a week, who's one of the best corners in the league because he's <laughs> on the COVID list. Um, you just got beat again, second time in a few weeks, and now you're on the road. So, right. yeah, um, a lot of pressure on there. Look, this is a highly competitive league, and so much can change. Just today, I was flipping through some articles, and it was like crucial stretch coming up for such and such team. Well, if you're worth a shit or trying to be worth a shit, every game it's November now. Every game's yeah, crucial, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. One so, other thing. did you see the fight? Did you see the fight in Chicago? Yeah. He snatched his chain first. <laughs> so Keyshawn Johnson today is on the Ridge Show, right? And they bring up the Keyshawn to fight. And Keyshawn was breaking down how you punch somebody with a helmet on. You don't keep your hands. You know, it was. I, I just was sitting there shaking my head, like I was like, I can't believe this is a real conversation on a radio show. But Keyshawn was like, man, you got to hit him with the palm up. What is up with guys snatching guys' chains? Like, and why? Are, I uh, and the dude, and that dude's like the fourth receiver. There's a good chance after his two-game suspension, he's going to lose his job and he's going to get cut, all because somebody took his mouthpiece and was messing with him. Yeah. That dude gets under everybody's skin, though. That's the dude that Mike Thomas hit as, in his practice. Yeah. He go, he, he's getting a runner for hater of the year. Yeah. When you're as good as Antonio Brown, you can be a fucking idiot and get unlimited chances. When you're Javon Wims, you ain't getting unlimited chances. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> like, it's just how it works. Perfectly said. Yeah. yeah. That's how it is. That's the rules. We don't make them. They just the rules. Uh, 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 Do you remember? Gonna, all right. This is a great accidental oh, transition. You remember that day that Todd Grantham cussed out Ellery Moore? Oh, my God. Maslin's own. Yes. He met. 
Grantham, we need to do a podcast and we get some former Browns defenders on. Todd Grantham cussed out guys in ways I've never heard people cuss right, out. Right, but this was extreme. And like the next day or two <laughs> days later, Ellery Moore was cut. Right? Yes. Yeah. And so when I was doing the Maslin story about three weeks ago, I was at the game. Ellery now does the broadcast, the radio broadcast on the local station. That's right. Yeah. And on the sideline before the game, I went up and I said, hey, El, Zach Jackson. And he said, where do I know that name from? And I said, I work for the Browns. And we both had a smile because we were both thinking about the same damn thing. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is tremendous. That is so tremendous. <laughs> Oh, Todd Grantham, man. I I want to say Mike Adams or Sean. Man, who was our who was our safety from Georgia? So Sean. Uh, Sean Jones. Jones. Oh my God, he would say things to them, man, during games. And I'd be on the sideline, and I would like have to turn my mic off because our producer would say, "Is somebody fighting down there?" And I'd be like, "No, that's just Todd Grantham. <laughs> just Grantham yelling and screaming." Uh, and and there are rumors. And we'll get back into the masculine thing. There are rumors. I, this is not something that I am pertaining to say, but I've heard other people say it, and, I, and I'll keep their names out of this until we can possibly get on a podcast. But there are a lot of people that were in that, on that team that year, on that defense that feel like Ty Grantham called certain defenses so he could become the interim head coach when Romeo got fired, and that was the year they somehow went and won 10 games. That's one of those in your next Browns book. Well, We've got to I – I have never heard that, and I can't speak specifically to that, but that it wouldn't be unique to pro sports. No, but I've heard I mean, from enough Dre, people just, that I can go, I'll go with it. Well, first of all, look, and here's a sign of Brown's progress and positivity. Trade deadline in an hour, as we mentioned, right? It was only three trade deadlines ago that the A.J. McCarron thing almost happened. Oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, between what happened a year ago, and it was only—I don't know how—I don't know how we're not having a parade. Yeah. <laughs> and it was only two years ago that they hired Todd Haley, who took the job, thinking one of two things: yeah. we're either going to get fired and I'm going to get paid not to work, which worked, or I'm going to be the head coach. Right, 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 right. So, hey, Browns fans, you should rejoice. This is a holiday. This really is a holiday, and one of the best bye weeks the Browns have ever had so far. Nobody get arrested now, Brown players. That's All right, let, let's talk the Maslin story, but I want to say one thing. Um, yeah. it, I just checked Twitter to make sure I'm not missing anything on the trade front, and the Cowboys have ruled out Andy Dalton again. First of all, the guy should have been suspended for that hit. Second of all, the Cowboys play the Steelers this week, and having to put that Danucci kid, uh, that's child abuse. He should not be out there. That's not, yeah, that's not right. That's not right. It's not, it's not right. It's not fair. Um, that's going to be sad. All right, let me say this as we transition to the Maslin. Story. We got more stuff. We'll try to get another podcast in this week, but I want to talk this Maslin story that Zach wrote a couple, about a week and a half ago. Um, growing up in Northeast Ohio, for those that don't know, and I'll, this is just the intro that I, I've been thinking about. I'm sure I won't get it out the way that I, I planned on getting it out because I never do. Um, but growing up in Northeast Ohio, wanting to play football, you know, much, much, much Bishop texted me or asked me the other day on the air. He does play-by-play for Hoban, and he's, he's a great guy. And he was like, Andre, growing up, you know, who was the high school, who was the Friday night high school football player that, that you had to see growing up? And I was like, oh, that's easy, Ricky Powers. Uh, you know, I was like, Ricky Powers was, you know, he was, you named like the, the best running back in the NFL right now. And that's what Ricky Powers was to me 
at 10, you know, 9, 10, 12 years old. Um, same with Robert, Robert Smith. They were at the same time. That, those were the two guys, and a guy named Joe Dandy, who's now an action cop, who played at Firestone. Those were my running backs. Those are the guys I wanted to be. But outside of that, I always wanted to play a game at Maslin High School because playing at Maslin High School was bigger than playing at Akron, playing at Kent State. You name the local – it was right up there were playing at the Horseshoe. Like, it was like either play at Maslin or play at the Horseshoe where, like, my dreams come true. Now, the rubber ball was one, but that's a whole different thing. But it just felt like whenever I was allowed as a young kid to go to a Maslin game – it was a special treat. It was like going to Cedar Point. You know, it was like, it was, mm-hmm. it was up there. And I got to say the first time that I got to play at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium, I was a freshman at St. V. It was one of the first games I got to dress varsity. And everything seemed normal until five minutes before the game started. They put me on a kickoff return. And I literally about peed down my leg. And I'll never forget one of our up men said, you just run it up the crack of my ass, not, and don't you worry about shit. And I look over and Obi, the Tiger, it's like roaring and fireworks are going off. Hope it was American fireworks back in 93. And it didn't feel like it was the one time, Zach, and the four times I played there, it was the four times at St. V that I played in a high school football game, but I felt like I was playing in an NFL game because the atmosphere was bar none the best thing that I had ever experienced in my whole life. And that was before the 4,000-foot video board that they got now. Yes, <laughs> yes. But the, same, but the same PA guy, the PA, the PA voice, yeah, it was like daunting. You know what I mean? Like his voice was. It felt like you were. It, it felt like you were at the Super Bowl, and and still, even to this day, at 42 years old, if I were to go to a game this Friday at that stadium, I still will get goosebumps a little bit as I walk in, and not because I stopped at that bar that looks like a house that nobody's ever seen before before the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it really is a place like no other, and so, you know, basically how this came about is. You know, it's this almost century-long obsession with with the team. And football is who they are, and they don't run from it, and they don't think any differently. And they have an answer for every question you have about, is this right, is this okay, is this best? Right? <laughs> um, and and so the world has changed so much, even before COVID. Like, things aren't the way in most places of the world that they were 20 years ago, Jerry, let alone 50, 70 years ago. Right. So they have this tradition that starting with the McKinley game, if it's on the road and then through the playoffs, when they come back, the buses just park in the middle of Lincoln way, which is the main street in the, in the old downtown area, picture old school, downtown America, you know, small, mm-hmm. smallish town USA. Um, and the cops shut down the streets and the players get out and people line the streets and they're like conquering heroes. Right. And so last year on black Friday, I had watched too much football. I had, frankly, the previous three nights, I had drank too much beer. I just, they were a week away from winning. I was watching their game on Spectrum. They was a state semifinal. And so they were a week away from getting there, right? And I just said, I'm going down there. And I'm going to soak this all in. And if they win, like, this next week will be a party like no other. And I'm going to write an article. So I did. I went. I didn't tell anybody. I walked around. And frankly, the only reason I didn't stay longer is that's the night that Freddie Kitchens wore the T-shirt to the movie. Yep. And it started yep, yep, about yep. 10 o'clock, 1030. Twitter started to go wild. And I was afraid I was yep. going to have to write a column about the toddler coaching the Browns. Another one. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so 
I just started working, and then they didn't win the next week, and so we didn't do the story. And then, you know, what happened, the world changed this March, and we didn't know if there was going to be football, and so I, I kind of resumed the story. And then it turns out there was football, and it all happened kind of quickly, and it all happened at the time that the Browns were playing. I was busy, so we were just kind of waiting. So, um, you know, talking with people, or like, because the athletic, we, we don't do – you know, we don't write about high school stuff, right? We don't write about much, much right. local stuff. And so as I told everybody about this, I just was like, I had full support from my bosses and from everyone. Like, yes, this, this story needs to be told. So like, take your time and we'll tell it, you know, find who you can find. And like, so I was just calling people and just Facebook messaging people. Like, tell me your favorite masculine football stories. And as I found people, like my phone was ringing from, people that I didn't even approach. Like I hear you're looking for massive football stories. And I talked to the, the GM of the Minnesota Vikings who told We're me without any there. prompting that being the quarterback at Maslin prepared him for the rest of his life. And that everything he's done in football and everything he's experienced working at the highest levels of football, he will never forget riding in that bus with the police escort through, through downtown and seeing the people on the sidewalks and the people cheering for the Tigers. You know, and the intensity yeah. in the Maslin McKinley game on Saturday afternoon. So I'm just like, man. So, you know, in the end, just for story purposes, we didn't want to write as much. Maybe it's a book. It was already a movie, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but it really is a crazy place. And like to put those together and to to tell those stories, like, you know, um, it was awesome. It was a privilege, and it was like you don't. It was one of those where it was almost like I stay out of the way and just let the story speak for themselves, right? Right. right. It's one of those mythical places. You know, like, it, it really is. Like, it, like, when you talk about Ohio, you know, it was a school I remember growing up, you always heard about, well, they put a, they put a little football in, in every crib of every kid. And it was, and like, and like I said, it's one of those stories that it's like, I've heard that story my whole 42 years of life. And at some point in time, you're like, that can't be true. And then I read your story, and it's like, well, they don't do it anymore, but if you want one in there, you can get one, right? Like, it, it did happen at one time that when you were born in that town, a football was put in your cradle if you were a boy. Mm-hmm. That's just how it worked, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, like, it goes back to the 50s. Um, now, it might go back to the 30s when Paul Brown was the coach, but it's documented back to the 50s until three years ago when the hospital closed. Amazing. Amazing. And I mean, and, and really, like, it's different. There's, and I thought you handled this well because so much has changed in our world. Because, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I got recruited by some decent colleges, some decent Mac schools, and some decent uh, Big Ten, bottom of the Big Ten type schools. And nobody recruited me better than Maslin during my high school years. <laughs> well you went to the thing called the sportsmanship banquet which went on for 50 years and it was when they would honor one player from each team they had played the year before and they would have them in and they would honor them right and depending on who you talk to it died about 17 18 years ago and there were two two reasons that it died one sportsmanship had evaporated the, the coach at the time had, had had too many bad relationships with too many teams and people just weren't participating. And two, people just weren't participating because they knew damn well they were having that banquet to recruit the other team's best player. Right. <laughs> I mean, I sat at the table in 94, the year that Charles Woodson left, 
his senior year was my junior year of high school. I sat at the table with Charles Woodson. And, like, literally, he was – but it was – and then we had – and I won't say the college coach's names because you know him, but just look up in 94, 95, who the head coach was at Michigan State and Bowling Green. And they were sitting at our table. Like, that – like, it wasn't – I could go on and on. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to bust – like, it, it was what happened. It was how they took care of you, and they told you. Like, they were straight up. I, on the field, I was told walking on the field as a sophomore – you're a star, kid. And this pissed me. And you see, they, they said the wrong thing to the, to the wrong person. They told me, I'm sure your dad can use a job. If, if you, we can get your dad one if he gets you down here. My dad about went up there with a, with a, with a shotgun <laughs> the next day. He was so pissed that they would think that about him. But that's just how masculine was. And I guess what I'm saying is, I thought you did a good job of telling this wonderful story without, without smearing it. Because there is some... There's some oddities to it. I mean, I'm just being honest. I love football. I love Northeast Ohio. I love the traditions. Um, but there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some ugliness to it as well, Zach. But I think it's, I think the masculine situation in that in that Stark County area speaks to where America's at right now. Because yeah, well, America, I think people you, have heard of the. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think people have heard of the masculine McKinley rivalry in some form or fashion, whether you read the SI story 26 years ago or not you know, whether you watch the movie or not. But, like, I would just say this. Like, that day, it's not a high school football game, right? No. It's not about bettering our youth. It's not about life experiences. It's about win the game. And it's about open the tailgate lots at 8 a.m., right? People that grew up with it, that moved away, fly back, drive back, pedal back, whatever it takes to be there. And it's a party and it's a war. And if you're having a bad season and you win that game, you have a great season, right? I'll never forget in the Sports Illustrated in 94, the sign in the McKinley locker room, our goals for the year, number one, beat Maslin, number two, win the state title, right? Yep. Oh, here. I played them before the 100th. I'm glad you brought that up. Before the 100th game between Maslin and McKinley, Maslin played St. V. And my old coach, John Sassone, who I loved to pieces, and, and if you know his name and you know anything about him, the guy was just great to me. He believed in me from day one. And I'll never forget him telling me before that game, and this wasn't the type of coach he was, but he said, Andre, they're so worried about that 100th game. They got all these fucking TV cameras and all these other sports illustrators. He goes, go out there and kick their ass and make, and make them write about you. And his whole point was, they're not even worried about us. They're worried about that 100th game. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we took him to double overtime. And I <laughs> and Sassone kept saying to me, fuck Maslin McKinley. You go out there and you make them remember your name. Yep. And it was, it was unbelievable because it was like a pro. They, they, and, I don't, and I get it. They weren't concerned with us, Zach. They were concerned with the 100th game and making sure Willie Spencer and crew would be ready to go the next week. Yeah. So one of, one of the stories that didn't make it because I couldn't verify it was – one year they played McKinley at home and it didn't go well. And the head coach had to do a TV interview because for years and years it aired live on TV. Right. This game, it would always sell out, right? 19,000 people. <laughs> and uh, asked some people to come out with them because it, it hadn't gone well and it was kind of tumultuous. And so while they're waiting for the interview and during the interview and the aftermath of the interview, there's a fan that had had too much to drink and was not real pleased, and he was yelling at the coach and everyone in particular. And he was telling the coach, you're not 
you're not a tiger. And he was telling the players, you're not tigers. <laughs> and I mean, like I said, this, this is life or death, this game, right? And and he had his yells. He got his yells in until one of the players came out of the locker room and walked up in the bleachers and socked the guy in the face. <laughs> <laughs> And I can tell you that part of the reason I go to Maslin McKinley every even-numbered year is because you know you're going to see a brawl in the tailgate lot. A brawl. No doubt. And I can't tell you the age of those people. (laughs) I can tell you it varies wildly, but you're going to see it. It's like that. It's it's for the victory bell, but it's forever. Um, Yeah. Well, you told a story. Wait, wait. You told a story in the story. That is real. I remember the fans going after the the referee. Yeah, like it was, that happened more than once. Where literally they were they, like, like we just knew that you lose six points going to play at Massillon. Like that was because like the referees were intimidated because fans had thrown shit at them or tried to fight them multiple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Justin Swick goes for a touchdown run and he gets called back and um, they pepper bottles on the field and it's madness and they get the last playoff but not like they need to and. They lose. It's a big upset. Their team's coach was Tim Hinton, who was on Urban Staff at Ohio State and is now at Michigan or Minnesota, something like that. But um, after the game, two fans run on an assault, the lead official. And um, six months in jail, one of them got. But the real penalty was a five-year ban from going to Maslin games. So the next year he bought, he rented a U-Haul truck and parked it up on the hill behind the home locker room and, and watched the games from there because he didn't want to miss the Tigers. So, like, just – Ask you know the radio guys now, and Ellery Moore is one of them. You know they take the emails live on the broadcast because most people are listening digitally, right? right. That's me. I mean, I've listened to Maslin games on internet radio in ten different states conservatively, right? right? Um, and, and the one where the announcer says, "Yeah, you know, from the Pan- from the Panama Canal off the coast of Antarctica, off the coast coast of Australia," he said. But one guy emailed in and said, "Hey guys, just want to check in. I'm in Hawaii." And I'm going out to get married here in five minutes. So I just stepped away. And before I walk out to the beach to meet my bride, I just wanted to say, go Tigers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's the level that it is. You know, the, the indoor field house is because they want the best of oh. best everything. That there was an the NFL the Pro Day. Life. Yeah. Three years ago, Adam Shaheen held his NFL Pro Day there because his college doesn't have an indoor field house. Right. And like, they were coming from every – I remember going to that and seeing NFL general managers standing in this high school indoor field house, you know. It's the best field house in Ohio. Here's a good one, too. Here's a good one, too. And this this isn't necessarily just Maslin. This has gone on other places. But I couldn't attribute it to a certain year, a certain coach, so I didn't write it. But um, maybe late 70s, early 80s. Coach likes his team but doesn't really like their, his team's off-field behavior. They're not great students. They're not great kids, right? So gets to October and tells them, like, guys, we, we have a real chance here, but we need to improve our focus a little bit. Like, we, we need to be better in the classroom, and we need to be more focused on football, or, or we're not going to get where we want to go. So I'm instituting a curfew. And, you know, after 7 o'clock, I'm going to go out and drive around. And if you guys are out, like there's going to be consequences because we're going to go home and we're going to do our homework and we're going to rest because we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to win a champ, which you're trying to beat McKinley in three weeks and trying to win a championship here. So the first night he goes out and he's driving down Lincoln way and he sees two JV players and he says, perfect. 
drives over and he busts him. And the next day they run till they puke and he gets to make his whole example in front of the team of we're going to have consequences for breaking the curfew. So the second time he goes out and he doesn't find anybody and he says, that's fine. The message is getting across. So the third time it goes out and he's driving up and down Lincoln way and he sees a letter jacket from about four traffic lights away. So he starts weaving in and out strategically gets in the right lane and he sees a letter jacket and he sees a kid walking up wearing his letter jacket, smoking a cigarette. All right. So he goes to the next light where he can make sure it's one of his players and he looks and it's the star running back walking right at him wearing his letter jacket, smoking a cigarette and the light turns green and the coach just keeps on driving. <laughs> so if you don't think that happens more places than not but i just oh. one thing i in every single interview i did I, I would just say to people give me your best masculine football story and some of them would be like um no <laughs> you know? right right <laughs> well the the funniest thing about this and i don't know and i think like i said it's a great it's a great American story. It's the part. It really is. Yes. Um, and I think the great thing about it is, and this is just the hater in me. This is just the person in me. And I know that there are a lot of friends that I have that when they hear this comment, they're going to laugh, laugh their ass off and say, I'm wrong, but totally agree with me. I love everything about Maslin, but I love nothing more that they haven't won a state championship since it matters. Yeah. A lot. No, a lot of people <laughs> feel that way. Um, and right? they embrace the bad guy role, you know? Um, like I said, you know, Rick, Rick Spielman said, I, I don't have time to follow every week, but you know, I'm checking the Maslin McKinley score, you know? Right. Um, and people know we all do. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. We all do. Anybody from North, anyone from Northeast Ohio that's ever been to one of those games or ever just been or known someone that's played in it. That's, that is a special, that's, I'll, I'll say this in Stark County, Maslin, Maslin McKinley's bigger than Ohio state Michigan. Week Saturday, oh, sure. right? It is yeah. like it. Like I don't care. Where, and like you said, you can get emails from Cali- from Hawaii, California, Australia. It is a holiday when that game is played in Star County. Yeah, and and like I said, it it makes your season. It it makes you remembered forever and ever. You know, I mean, just hanging around when I did over the course of eleven months, um, and obviously for six months you weren't even around. Like this summer, I couldn't even go to practice because of the COVID protocols, right? Um, but like I would be talking to someone or within earshot of someone when I was hanging around and that person would encounter another person who would automatically bring up something that happened in 1978 or 83 or 96, you know, um, that lives on forever. And, And like, I went to the booster club meeting and here's 75 people, most of them 75 years old wearing masks and watching intently on a Monday night in this banquet right. hall half lit is the coaches going over Warren Harding's fucking kickoff team. Like yes. if that's not America, <laughs> right? I don't know what it is. But it's like Zach, those guys, when I went to the, the banquet, they would tell me like, they would be like, when the coach broke down the tape, they said, you're the best cutback runner we've seen since. And they would name some guy from like, from like, eight. you know, <laughs> I'd be like, what? Like, they, like, the boosters would, like, compare you to guys and teams and games. Like, they broke down the film better than our coach, than my damn coaches did. It was scary. But it was awesome that someone cared that much about it. You know, that you can get a whole town to care about it. Like, I mentioned Willie Spencer's name a couple times, and I know he's not the best player that played. But 
He's had it played in the CFL. And uh, the best way I can explain it, he was Michael Vickish before Michael Vickish was Michael Vick was allowed to play football the way he played. Yes. Football, right? Yeah, he was about 6'3 with arms of a 6'8 guy and would run the option and just hang it out there. Right? And like yes, make you choose. He was completely, yes. Yes. He yes. would flip it out there and like not even throw it. And it was like, that was just a big, he did everything the way in the 90s you weren't supposed to do it. Now it's no big deal to see Willie Spencer. But the thing was, you were afraid, you were afraid of not only playing Willie Spencer, but you were afraid of, well, his dad did this back in in 80 and took him. You know what I Like the stories that we heard before we got on the field with the guy, went off the captains and shook his hand. And it was like, I, I had to ask myself, was I supposed to get an autograph? <laughs> like, it was like, like, like he was the star. He was the biggest star I'd ever met at the time. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Yeah, He's the same age as me. I'm going. To, it's amazing how they built well, the guys. So to, to kind of sum it up in terms of the whole century, like what I learned in in research, because I've you know lived it to an extent, and I remember that stuff, is like going all the way back. Paul Brown would always attribute two other people to the to the growth of football: the band director, who he ultimately took with him to the Cleveland Browns, and the local sports writer. He said it was, it was without them. The growth, the myth of Maslin would not wow. have grown. The greatest show on high school football would not have been spread around and people wouldn't come from miles around and hear 80 years later to see it and talk wow. about it, right? Like, I had a friend, co-worker, who grew up and went to the University of Tennessee, right? Grew up in Tennessee and went to the University of Tennessee. And I took him to a Maslin versus Ignatius playoff game at the Rubber Bowl in the early 2000s. And he said, Zach, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> 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 I mean, there's nothing like it, man. There really is. I can't wait. I can't wait till my son gets old enough to understand it and for me to take him. Yeah. Like it's a rite of pa- it's a rite of passage. It I is. can't it really it's a rite of passage of being in Northeast Ohio. Um I know up in the Cleveland area there's a big deal about uh, you know, the, the Ignatius Edge games and I've been to them and they are great. I would take nothing away from them. There's great pageantry, there's great there's you know, great stories. Um I've done Hoban, you know, Saint V. My entire life, there's something special about that, but there's nothing. There is nothing like Maslin McKinley. If you well, you, yeah, you just said it. Like, Ohio is football crazy. Crazy, crazy, right? But it's different there. It's it's yeah. different there. And, like, that night, just their first playoff game, like, I'm standing on the sidelines. The teams are in the locker room, right? I'm, I'm waiting for them to come out and take some pictures. And all of a sudden, you hear, Hey, Tiger fans, Mark Johnson from News 5. I mean, they got their own freaking weather report on the video right, scoreboard right, in high right. school game. It's a pro game. <laughs> like, dude, that, like, that blew me up. Like, you got to understand what it's like to play at 15, 16 years old. Like, I always want to ask kids, because I know what it went through in my mind, and I knew what Maslin was about. And, like, and, and, and I got to say, it's almost as embarrassing to say it this way, but when I played, when, like, it was like I made it in my family, in, like, some of my family's eyes, when my mom could go, hey, Andre's going to play against, you know, Maslin this week down at Maslin. And, like, I had uncles that were like, well, I guess that boy's pretty good. They're going to let him play on Maslin's field. And it's like, asshole, they let him play. <laughs> like, that's really, like, how your family, like, looks at it. I had more family members come watch me play my sophomore, junior year. When it, and it was when it was in Maslin, 45 minutes away from where all my family lived. Where they could have went and seen me at St. V, five minutes away from where they lived. Right. They would go to Maslin to watch because that was a big deal. Like, that yeah. just tells you, like, how it worked. Yeah, no, it it is, and like you just you have to know it. But in, in the movie, like six minutes into the movie, they show Ellery Moore, who's seventeen years old at the time, right? And they're talking about the levy has failed three times, and the state has taken over the school district. 
and and how they need to have a good season. So the you know this McKinley game's on Saturday and the elections on Tuesday, right? And Ellery Moore, mm-hmm. seventeen years old, looks at the camera and says, "There's no happiness here in this town. We were four and six last year." And he's dead serious. All right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's what it is. Yeah. It that is so real. It's so real. It's scary. Um, and like I said, it, it points to a lot of of who we are and what we are as a country, and as you know, Northeast Ohioans. It's the I can't remember. The, I got to go back and watch the movie. I remember cringing a lot during the movie though because it was about high school kids and because you know it was it was a grown up story based around high school kids. That's the best way I could Yeah. It. Well, like, when the coach got fired in 1983 or 84, one win short of beating Paul Brown's record, you know, he had, had one bad year, he went 6-4, and four and they fired him. Um, right. What I uncovered, which I never knew, both Sports Illustrated and USA Today covered the story like it was headline news. Now, you know, our whole media world has changed, you know. Yeah. Um, and frankly, with the death of newspapers and the availability of 888 cable channels to everyone, that's a lot of why um, high school football has become more niche sport than than out there. You know, even here, even in football right. crazed Ohio, right? Like you root for your local team and you root for your kids' team. You know, you might go to your alma mater's game, especially if it's a big game or if they're having a great year. But like, I mean, Sports Illustrated. Knew was covering Maslin football. Sports Illustrated at the time right. was the paramount of of sports journalism, right? Like, and they're covering a high school football game. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Like Chris Spielman was on a Wheaties box as a high school football player, right. guys. Like this is not made up, you know. So that that's the one thing I wanted to do is like take the myths and lay them next to the facts because I thought that was a great way to tell it. Because the myths yeah. didn't just happen, you know, like it's decades and decades of this being a mainstream thing, a cult in some ways. Sure. But yeah, not, not only did I ask every single person that I interviewed, booster, administrator, former player, current player, current coach, not only did I ask them for their best masculine story, but I asked every single one of them point blank. Is it ever too much? Is it ever too much focus on football, too much pressure on the kids? Too much, you know, focus on on Friday nights being the pinnacle of their lives when they don't even know a thing about life. And every single person said, no, it's not. And every single person said it prepares them for the rest of their lives. And yeah, that morning, who they're from. Yeah, it gives them pride from who they they are and where they're from. That morning, the story published like the third comment on The Athletic was someone demanding more detail on the coach who got fired in 1984. (laughs) (laughs) and like 40 minutes later got a text from a college division one head coach not matt campbell by the way um who said i read your masculine story every bit of it is incredible but it's so true that these kids are getting prepared for the rest of their lives and i thought i agree pretty telling pretty telling um speaking of matt campbell we'll get out of here on this note yeah i didn't this didn't even occur to me and i don't know that it's gonna happen but, like, the Harbaugh thing at Michigan ain't working. Like, Oh, uh, here we go. When you sign him, when you get him, Dre, it's not necessarily national title or bust, but these little losses yes, ain't is. cutting it. And getting your ass kicked every single year by Ohio State ain't cutting it. Right? Like, Well, they're 1-4 versus, versus Michigan State, 0-6 oh at home versus Ohio State. Yes. Uh, that's called John Cooper land. And that's called you get fired. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah, so 
I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just not in this world right now. But who the hell do you hire? Well, you started this. You started the story with the answer already. I well, I only bring answered. that up because this morning I was driving and I was listening to Dan Patrick, and he had Rich Eisen on. Like this hadn't even. I mean, I was following the Michigan game. I was mostly right. watching Clemson, but I was following the Michigan game last Saturday, and I was saying like, this isn't working for all parties involved. They've got to go. But like Rich Eisen was like. You know, my question is not about Harbaugh's future. It's who's next. And the two names he said were P.J. Fleck and Matt Campbell. And right. I just don't know. Like, it's, I it's love Matt Campbell. Really I don't hide my bias or my relationship with Matt Campbell because right. that would be stupid of me to do that. But, like, right. after Harbaugh and to close the gap on Ohio State, I, I think you need to do – like, you almost have to run some outrageous offense, right? You almost need to go, like, no, super man. young. And, and me and Matt aren't young anymore. Well. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. About this because these are the conversations these colleges really have to have. The real conversation that has to be had by Michigan is do we really want to get in the arms race that is being one of the top five football schools in America? Clemson has sold its soul, and Dabo is, 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 is giving it. What Alabama's doing, what Ohio State's doing, what Clemson's doing, um, there's some give and take as to who you are and what you are. And I've got. Too many Michigan guys that are talking about, to me, talking about what it means to be Michigan, you know, what it means to be a Michigan man and, you know, about their education for Michigan and how they also can be, you know, this great football school. And I'm not saying you can't. But if you want to – like, I don't think – you can run the offense. They're running that. But they better start recruiting and getting the guys. It's yeah. just like going from Trestle to Meyer, in my mind. Trussell was great. Trussell was the perfect Ohio State coach. He could win you a, a national championship every 10 years probably with enough of the right Ohio kids and it, it sprinkled in with some national guys. Urban Meyer loves these, these, these local kids, Urban, but he was a national recruiter that brought kids to Ohio. And if you happen to be a top 30 Ohio kid or top five Ohio kid, you could be on the team too. The Buckeyes are a national recruited team now. Wouldn't you agree? Well, sure. And listen, the question you ask is a valid one, and it probably is ultimately the one. But isn't the answer yes? Isn't Michigan long pot committed yeah. to being that? For sure. For sure. If you are Michigan and you want to be what you say you are, um, you get an arms race. And the arms race means you pay assistant coaches like SEC coaches, not that they aren't. Um, and mm-hmm. you you got you to gotta go get the top the top 20 players. The right. top 20 players are between Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State right now, right? And you can mix in other teams that get, get them every once. I mean, think about it. Think about this. The Pac-10, or whatever the fuck we call it this week, isn't even a part of this conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. And USC used to get USC used to get some of the top recruiting classes in America because of California. And then Oregon, I think, and I love this conversation, and it could go on forever. Oregon kind of messed up the pipe, the, 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 the trail that USC had because they start going down and pecking kids from California. Sure. I don't know what happened to USC. Think about it. What Pac-12 team has scared you in the last 10 years? Yeah, I mean, the, the Reggie Bush teams were 15 years ago now. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and California's always that talent. Always. And now you get Washington. Washington will be a top five, top ten team every once in a while. Uh, Oregon will be a top five, top ten team every once in a while now. It's so mixed up. USC has lost its stranglehold upon being the West Coast team. Uh, that you were, Stanford's the best year in and year out, and that's because they got the best coach in the country. 
and he loves where he's doing, and he doesn't have to have top five talent to do what he does, even though he does get some great recruits. Um, I just think the Michigan story is interesting because um, Harbaugh, is, he hasn't done terrible. He just hasn't done the job Michigan hired him for, right? Well, right. I mean, that's the thing. You, you, you're going in there, and you do need – I mean, I said as soon as he gets quarterback, he'll be fine. Well, he hasn't, and they're so deficient at the other positions. And they get a five-star yep. from Cast Tech in Donovan Peoples-Jones, yep. and he never does a thing. Meanwhile, Ohio State's got seven receivers in the league, right? Like, right, right. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard one. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a name I'm, I'm missing, and maybe – the biggest name on the rise right now is Luke Fickle, and is he taking the Michigan job? Who'd you is, say? Is he the guy you want? I, I you say know, the name again. Yeah, the answer to both is no, but the name I just said is Luke. <laughs> but Luke Farrell, you know what though? You know what though? Luke Farrell is, is recruiting his ass off at Cincinnati, man, and he is doing a great. I mean, that's a real football team. Like they're good. Yes. Yes, they're really good. Yeah. But would, would he want to go to Michigan? See, I like this is a great story, Zach, because they got to find something. Uh, see, they, I didn't – and honestly, Dre, I'm, uh, two hours ago I'm driving, and this comes – like I said, I flipped to Dan Patrick, and this comes on, and I just said to myself, I want to make sure I bring this up because I don't know. But even when I was thinking beyond Fleck and Matt Campbell, who I'm not sure that's a great fit for, I, I didn't come up with right. Fickle till now. Um. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know what, that's where they're at. And kudos to Ohio State for realizing what they had in Ryan Day. Yes. When they did. When yes. they did. Because Ryan Day is, is, is he's the, I mean, how lucky is Ohio State, Ben, to go from everything they went through with Trestle, going through having Fickle for a minute, and then having Urban bounce right in your hand, and having Ryan Day, like, that's the best thing Ohio State will be able to say about themselves for the last 30 years when we look back on this watch. Yeah, yeah um, man, it's just, you know, Michigan State lost. And, and shout-out to our boy Mel Tucker. We both love him. Um, yeah, love but Mel. they lost to Rutgers. They got nobody. <laughs> D'Antonio was they, but you know five what, years you overdue. Were, you, yeah, but watch Michigan – when I watch Michigan-Michigan State, and I know it's a rival game – you couldn't tell the team that had the brand new coach Zach and the team that had the coach. Oh, that that says it all right you know there because I mean? it's Harbaugh's seventh year. So right, yeah, yeah. Well, couldn't happen to a better person. He's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> to sum it up, next year, well, barring free agency, next year Maslin's quarterback is going to be the son of former Michigan linebacker Sean Crable. Shut up! Yeah, I'm, Sean Crable was a beast. At Maslin. Yeah, oh, my God. God, man, I'm getting old. Oh, I, saw, I saw Winfield break up a play last night, and I, and I had a concussion for five seconds last night after when he broke that play up. And now you're telling me, man, oh, I wish I wish we had tape. I wish we had YouTube of guys like they do now, if I could show people what that yes. kid was like back in the 90s. Wow. What it was like to play against that dude. Oh, yeah. he hit man. He made your teeth shudder. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. All right, we're overdue. Thanks for listening. Um, don't lose your job on social media. Enjoy the bye week. And what else? Yes. Konnichiwa. 
bye week. <laughs> so All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Be good, y'all.